0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking again about the Kingdom of God. And uh, we were in Corinthians this morning. First Corinthians chapter six we looked at chapter five and six and uh it's it was somebody was asking a question about it and uh wanted to know kind of what it means and I think he was mostly referring to the part about judgment that we're not to judge and of course we know Christ says that we're not to judge and uh, judge not lest ye be judged that's uh so are we supposed to judge or not supposed to judge well Again, like with many things, it's not that you judge, but it's how you judge and what that means, how that manifests itself and how you judge. Obviously, you're supposed to... People say, well, what's the difference between discerning and judging? Well, there's a judgment that is an exercising authority that is imposing your will on other people and taking away their right to choose, their liberty, because you're... You're imposing their will on them. Well, what if somebody's out of control and they're trying to kill you? Do you have a right to grab them and hold them (laughs) until they stop trying to kill you? You know, restrain them. I mean, you're using force. Is that wrong? No, obviously that's not wrong. It should just be common sense. But if somebody's, you know, uh, doing something you just don't like, they're not really taking away any of your rights, and you want them to do something a different way. that's a completely different spirit, and it's a completely different you know judgment on your part. I mean, obviously, if somebody was a child molester and they wanted a job babysitting uh, at my house, I'm not good. I don't hire a babysitter anyway, but if I was going to hire one, I would not hire a child molester. That's discernment. But if I want to just run somebody out of town because I don't like the looks of them, that's, that's judgment. Or if I want to. So anyway, what we were talking about is how do you run a court system in the kingdom of God? And, uh, some of the things that I mentioned this morning, and I'll put links on the page, is like, uh, in, in courts today, we have a jury system. And we have, in some places, we just have a judge or a three panel judge or, And it's not a jury trial. And we have other ways in which we go. We have civil suits and criminal suits, etc. It used to be that even in criminal cases, you had to have a, a plaintiff. Some individual complained that you robbed them. You cheated them. You kidnapped them. And you filled out a complaint. Or you kidnapped my child and you filled out a complaint. I mean, literally, you kidnapped a child You would have to have somebody who owned that child, who was a parent of that child, fill out a deal saying there's a complaint that he did this. And then you take him to trial based on that complaint. If that complaint was false and you knew it was false, you could be held accountable for the equal penalty that would be imposed upon a person that you said did this bad thing. That you bore false witness and now you become responsible for that thing which you bore. But nowadays it's much different. and People don't even, they don't even remember the change. They're not old enough or they haven't done enough study. That now if you commit a crime, it's the state that brings action against you. They don't need somebody to fill out a complaint. We're just going to arrest them. Uh, we're going to charge them. We're going to have a DA charge them with a violation of the statutes. And of course, back in the old days when you were under common law, the law common to people, right reason and those types of law, there wasn't 500 statutes. Somebody just put out a book, you know, how to get arrested in, by federal crime or something, you know, how to how become a federal criminal or something like that. And he's been going through every one of the statutes. Nobody has even counted how many laws there are. They tried to do it and they gave up because there was just too many laws. And, of course, they're making new ones every day. And these are all statutes. You did this, you did I mean, you can get, you can, it's actually a crime to sell llama poop. (laughs) You can actually, that's an actual federal crime, selling llama poop under certain circumstances. Circumstances and there's all kinds of laws and i mean when i was a kid in texas there there was a whole list of laws in texas that were just unbelievable i mean it was against a lot of my google eyes uh google google eyes at women on the public street that's actually what it said and, and there's still a law federal law that was the texas law there's still a federal law that you can't make uh inappropriate hand gestures at a horse, that's against the federal law. You know, when the country was founded originally, the there was like two, three laws. I mean, treason was a federal crime, uh counterfeiting was a federal crime, and um, it was one other federal crime. I think. Uh, well, actually, I can't remember what it was, but it wasn't. There was hardly uh, piracy. That was it. No, piracy was a federal crime. <laughs> so, other than that, that was it. That's all they need now. You, if somebody really knows the law, you will break a law today. There yeah, is there is that many laws. If they knew the federal law and the state law in which you're in, they, they could find you breaking a law before the day was out. I mean, you'd have to lock yourself up <laughs> somewhere to avoid breaking the law. But these are statutory laws. This is a different kind of law. This is what if you go to court today even in criminal court you're really in administrative court because they're administering judge justice and in an administrative court people always say is this a common law court is this a constitutional court well tell you the truth administrative courts are constitutional courts because there's you have remedies in equity uh permitted according to the judiciary act of 17 uh was it 1789 i think it was that allows for court cases that are administrative courts. The problem is, that's just about all you have. It used to be, you know, half the states have something in their constitution about juries deciding fact and law. That's where you, as a juror, can decide, yes, this man violated the statute, but we're going to acquit him of the crime, and he's not going to jail, and he can't be tried again, because you acquitted him. And that's, that's the end of that. You know, I mean, he's, he's free. He can go. He broke the statute, but you overruled the statute. And, uh, you cannot uh, be tried again. Because yeah, the jury overruled the statute and said you're innocent. You're free. You're able to go. And, uh, that's the way the law was and still is that way, but Every single day, except maybe Sunday and Saturday because the court's closed, but every other day, there are jurors in this country they're waiving their right to decide fact and law, and you I'll put links on the page for jury and you look that up and uh we'll explain that and I'll show you a series of letters and show you uh quotes from the Supreme Court justices that show that juries used to have the right to decide fact and law and how you lose that right. And, you know, I've talked to judges. I've talked to uh, people who write law books. This is actually the case. Most people... Now, just because I give you that information, the problem is is you go on the jury and you try to decide fact and law, you could be in violation of the law. You could also... If you try to tell other jurors that they have the right to decide fact and law, you could be arrested for jury tampering if you don't know what you're doing. And the reality is, is most people only have a right uh, to, you know, they don't have their, their rights. People say inalienable rights. Well, yeah, everybody can have inalienable rights, but if you commit a crime, you can be locked up and restrained. You say, well, I have the inalienable right to travel. Not anymore. You have that right, but you're going to be locked up because you, you robbed the bank. And so now we're going to put you in jail and you can't walk around anymore. And so you have the right, but you cannot exercise it because you're barred from exercising it. And that's how you begin to lose your rights. And we just talked in, in 1 Corinthians about Paul saying, I, I'm, you know, we know Paul was Romeos. He wasn't a Roman citizen as we think of it. The word there is actually Romeos. Uh, a Roman citizen was called Quirus, And Quirus was an enfranchised citizenship at that particular time. But if you were in possession of your rights, they would say you were Romeos. And that's, of course, what the actual Greek text says. And Paul was Romeos not because he was a Roman. Because <laughs> he wasn't a Roman. He wasn't from Rome. He was from Cilicia and Tarsus. And he was also the son of a very wealthy man who was also Romeos. And therefore, when Paul became sui juris at the death of his father, he was Romeos. And this was a particular status. And right in the biblical text. But people read these things and they don't know what they're reading. They lack knowledge. Uh, But right in the text, it tells you that... uh, The head of the cohort had to pay a great sum for this freedom that they called Romeos. And the translators call Roman citizenship. Well, all centurions, much less the head of the cohort, were all Roman citizens. And they didn't have to pay any money for it. They were just granted it because they were doing military service. You do military service and you get to be a Roman citizen, which is Quirus, not Romeos. Romeos is a Greek word, which means whole. And so he had to pay a great son, sum to obtain that status. Paul had it from birth. And he tells you that. But somebody explains something, you know, from the pulpit who wants to get his hand in your pocket or doesn't, is just as ignorant as you were, and went to some seminary that told them a bunch of stuff that this simply isn't true. It ain't so. And you pass it on. You know, it's a, yeah, you know, it's, it's like playing that game where I whisper something in your ear and you whisper something in somebody else's ear and it goes all the way around the room and by the time it gets to the other side, it's something completely different than what we started out with because nobody does any independent study. We do. And, and we show you this. And if you look up, we have another article on Was Paul a Roman Citizen? And we go through enough detail that you should certainly put your mind in a questioning state, if not convince you altogether, of what we're talking about. So, anyway, back to kinds of courts. You have administrative courts. That's what you have now. It's been that way pretty much everywhere in the United States uh, to one degree or another since about 1910, 1911. In that area, it began to change all across the board. Now... Other things came into play: Social Security, that changed the status of the individual, and uh, uh, land property rights, uh, legal title versus lawful title, allodial titles. All those things began to shift. You you got in a new money system. The the actual uh, lawful money went out of circulation. They said you could redeem the money in lawful money if if a if a if a note says on it redeemable. Legal tender, but redeemable in lawful money. That note is not lawful money. I mean, that's just, it's just common sense to tell you that. It's legal tender, but legal tender and lawful money are not the same thing, even though legal tender can be at sometimes redeemable in lawful money. So they're talking about different things. And people say, oh, this is so complicated. What does this have to do with the gospel of the kingdom? Well, you don't really know. have to know all that. Uh, to, to understand the gospel of the kingdom. But we can explain that and what that has to do with the gospel of the kingdom. Because if you're not using lawful money, you're not buying lawful title. If you're using legal tender, you can only buy legal title. And legal title is an apparent title that carries with it no beneficial interest and is the antithesis of Uh, The equitable title, which the law considers to be the true owner, the one holding equitable title is the one who is holding the true title of the property. So what it really comes down to, that and all these other things, and we go through it in the book, Covenants of the Gods, which you can read free online. We have lots of audios that go with that. But what it comes down to is you don't own your land. You don't own your children. You don't own your labor. And so, therefore, you don't own your future. You're human resource. You're merchandise. You're surety for debt. Now, all this has come about because you don't know the gospel, and your preachers are not preaching the gospel. So, what's the solution? Well, turn around and think different than what you've been thinking. Act upon this new way of thinking, and. The Lord will make you free again. It may take a little bit of time, and uh, judging by what most people are thinking, it's probably going to take a little bit of overtime. <laughs> so, anyway, but that is that is what the gospel is all about. Because Christ came to set you free. That you are back entangled again in the elements of the world. You don't have the courts that was in the early church because if you go back to 1st Corinthians, chapter 6, you'll see that Paul is talking about, if you have a dispute, you want to have a, you know, with your brother, with your neighbor, there is a way to deal with that dispute. There any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints. Dare any of you do that? Well, every Christian does that today. <laughs> they don't know there's any other way. Even if they knew there was another way, they have to change their ways for a while to get to the point where there is another way. And that is all that changing of your way and doing things another way is part of seeking the kingdom of God and his judgment and uh, his righteousness and his Blessings, but in order to seek it, you cannot seek it just for yourself. You have to seek it equally for other people. So on the page that we have at preparingyou.com, First Corinthians uh, chapter six over there on the side panel, and I'll add some of these. I'm making little notes. I usually don't have time to make these notes, but I'll try to add these links in. But at the making of this particular program, they're not all in there, but there's plenty of them in there. They keep you busy but who were the saints uh who were the disciples and we'll have you know 3 hours of recording up in about 10 days on that page and try to explain all this but if you go down the side panel you'll see all these different uh live links that you can go to you can click on them and go read the article on disciples and and click on the footnote and find out what the word saint is and where it come from and what it really means, it doesn't mean to some holy person, and uh, but it means someone who is separate. And that's what Christ was teaching his disciples how to be separate from the world and commanded that they be separate from the world. Modern ministers are certainly not separate from the world. As a matter of fact, they pray, especially at retirement, to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority they pray to the fathers of the earth for their daily bread and the daily bread of their widows and orphans. And the early church didn't do that. They could have, but they didn't. And the early church was providing a service. They were appointed a kingdom. The early church and even the church today is defined as one form of government, but nobody who's claiming to be the church, hardly, very few, are actually being that government. And so what we're going to talk about a little bit here is what would the courts look like in the church? Now some people would call them ecclesiastical courts and to some degree I could, I could use that term but it may need some defining because of the fact that your modern ecclesiastical courts are all over the place because the modern church is all over the place. And, uh, and then they'll, they'll talk about ecclesiastical law. I gave an example. Uh, there was a couple who were married, state marriage, state licensed marriage, in a state with a no-fault divorce. And they they wanted, well, one of them wanted to get a divorce. And he went to a minister and the minister talked to him and the woman didn't want the divorce. The husband did. And so he said, will you agree to arbitration? And he said, yes. And he says, okay. So they filled out a contract. They made it. I had a pastor call me well, he tried to get a hold of me. He didn't get a hold of me. But he's not in the network, so you can't guarantee you'll get a hold of me if you're not in the network. But if you were in the network, you could get a hold of me for free. But uh somebody else contact he contacted somebody else, and that person contacted me. And he wanted to know if we had a copy of that contract. Well, th- these things have to be made up to fit the particular situation. And it's, I mean, it's easy to, you know, write it up in a matter of minutes. And... uh if you know what you're doing, and you write up this contract, they both sign it, that he will not sue for a divorce until they have church arbitration. Well, he changed his mind, just like he changed his mind about being married, and he filed the case anyway in a no-fault state. And when he went into court, thinking this is a hands-down deal, I'm going to have this divorce in no time, it shouldn't take but a few days, and then there's a slight waiting period, and then it'll be finalized. The minister came in and held up the contract. The judge read the contract and dismissed the case. He would not hear the case. Because the power of contract is still there. Now that's not actually ecclesiastical law as people think of ecclesiastical law today. as How how it is often defined today. But... It is the nature of ecclesiastical law. They made an agreement that power of contract is, is huge, huge, powerful thing. And uh, so the, the judge picked no bones about it. He dismissed the case. That guy could not file for divorce anymore. Under the, you know, he had to fulfill the terms of that other contract or the judge would not even hear the case. Now, If you have a really good imagination, you can start applying some of those principles in all kinds of areas of your life. But you need the saints. Because any contract you make, where there is no remedy, and this is one of the first questions the judge asked, do you have an ecclesiastical court of arbitration? And the guy did, or he claimed he did. And, of course, anybody who's doing what Christ commanded would have such an ecclesiastical court. So, you could take the matter to that court. And if you couldn't get a divorce in that court, if you couldn't fulfill the terms of that court, you're not going to get a divorce in the state. You might be eventually able to, but it's it's not going to be a slam dunk deal. Uh, and, of course, we're talking about somebody who was married in the state, had a state licenses and You know, marriage license and all those kinds of things. We could still stop it with the power of contract. Well, there are far-reaching advantages of understanding how this works. And all your ministers should understand how this works. But you have to have a body of saints. A body of people who are separate. That's what saints means. They're separated out. Christ knew this, which is why he called out ministers. And he said you were to be in the world, but not of the world. He wasn't talking about the planet. He was talking about being these separate. And he he told them and gave them specific instructions on how to be separate. All those laws are still in place today. All those things could still be avenued today. And I would tell them to you, but I'm not going to give them to you on the radio. I've written about them in books, and the books are free online, but you're probably... most people are probably too lazy to go read the books. And even if they do, they might not understand everything unless they read all the footnotes. Because <laughs> the message is there. The information is there. But, you know, the same as, you know, somebody might own a pistol or a gun. But they don't leave it laying around <laughs> so that their people end up shooting their foot off uh, or worse. So... Yeah, all that information is there. So, back to... Just to give you an idea, I showed you that there's administrative courts, there's common law courts, where the jury has the right to decide fact and law. In an administrative court, they don't. They have waived the right to decide the law according to their God-given conscience. And they have agreed to decide the case based upon the statutes of a particular state. Now, the wording of their oath that they take when they get on the jury may vary because there is no statutory oath required in most states. They have no copy. They just know what they're up to. They're not going to tell you, but I'm telling you, but you probably don't believe me. And But I've gone right to the head of the administrative court of the state of Oregon, and they say there is no oath that is required by statute. But they're going to ask you to take it, and being the trained dogs that you are, (laughs) most of you will raise your right hand, and waive your right to decide fact and law. And once any of you do that, you know, and I I, I, mean, I could tell you stories you wouldn't believe, but they're all true. Once you do that, you no longer have the right to decide fact and law. But if you refuse to take the oath, they can't make you take the oath. They can't even keep you off the jury if you don't take the oath. They don't have a right to do that. And I would say all states, but I, I can at least say most states. But it doesn't do you any good because everybody else who takes that oath, they can't decide fact and law. And if you try to convince them to decide fact and law, you're jury tampering. tampering. And even though you have not taken the oath, they can arrest you for jury tampering and put you in jail. And it has been done. (laughs) It's been done in uh one of the central states. Uh And probably more. I mean, I just know of one case that it, where it was done in the central states because somebody tried to tell somebody who was already on a jury about jury nullification, not realizing that person's already waived their rights to it. And if you try to talk them into exercising their constitutional right or their natural right in common law, you're violating, you're coaxing them to violate their oath. So, there's so much to understanding how to navigate through all this. It's amazing, but you don't need to know all that. But what I wanted to do in the show today, and I talked about it a little bit this morning, is tell you how the courts in a free government operate. And we got a little bit of a picture of that with the common law courts where, you know, you're going to pick a common law court. So, who gets to be on the court? Who, who gets to be the, the jury? Well, it'll be 12 people. Used used to be always 12 men, but I don't really care if it's 12 men or 12 women, but there's a reason why it was 12 men. It wasn't because people are chauvinists or anything like that, but it there's a reason for it. But even if you pick 12 people that are men and women, that's fine. It doesn't, That's not the critical thing. But how do you pick them? You pick them through a process called Bordire. That this person, you say, I want this person on, and that guy either approves it or disapproves it. And then he says, I want this person on. And then you either approve it or disapprove it. And eventually, you all sit down and agree who's going to be on the jury. Now, of course, somebody could say, I disapprove of everybody you pick, and you never get around to having a jury and that's where you got a hung jury because you didn't even get one. Well, in the kingdom of God, there's a way that that man will be penalized who is uncooperative. But he won't be penalized by some individual deciding to punish him, to judge him worthy of punishment. Because in the kingdom of God, when you have a trial, when you have this debate or this conflict and you want to resolve it it is not done to punish anybody it's never ever done to punish anybody because if you're doing that then that would be judgment you're not doing it to punish you're doing it to protect and to resolve and to affirm uh, just recompense because you're seeking the kingdom of God and righteousness, justification So, you know, you have any kind of a trial, it's not to punish somebody. Their punishment is already built into the system. They will be punished. They will not get away. And that's something that they go through in, uh, Corinthians, uh, chapter 6, saying that, don't, do you not know? (laughs) No, you not? that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, you got to remember, as we've said so many times before, uh, that the kingdom of God, you know, I'm going to have to put a link on that so you can find out what the kingdom of God is. I'll write that down, kingdom of God link. And so, for those who haven't already read it, that's here and now. That's for the living. Now, has Jesus established his kingdom entirely? Well, I don't know if he ever does. I suppose someday he does. But the kingdom is doesn't mean it's not here because it's not established everywhere. One of the things about the kingdom of God is that it has to be established in your heart. It's not a matter of just what you say you believe. It actually has to change the relationship of your heart and your mind to your body. It's what I call the double tov, which I talked to a minister about just today. The double tov. The tov is the word for faith. The double tov, which I won't tell you what that looks like. The double tov is both in spirit of, you know, in in spirit and in truth. It's faith in your spirit, not just in your imagination or your mind, but it's also faith in truth. So it's manifested physically into the world. So the spirit of liberty You know, just as the person who wants to take away rights of other people who covets his neighbor's goods, his rights will be taken away. By the same token, he who wants to lay down his life for his fellow man, his he will pick up his life more abundant. But he has to do it in the name of Christ, which means in the character of Christ. You can't just jump on a grenade. You have to lay down your life according to the spirit of Christ. How do you know what that is? Well, you begin by the first thing that Christ tells you. You do that faithfully and then He will give you another thing. In your spirit He's going to tell you. So this is, this is a key to seeking the Kingdom of God and His righteousness. So the, the punishment for being wicked is already built into the system. And one of the wicked things is to judge others, to play God over others, to ru- rule over others, to try to say, I'm going to put you in jail to punish you. I'm not, I'm never going to put somebody in jail to punish them. I might say that a person needs to be locked up because he's a danger to himself and to others. Or that guy needs to be restricted because he's out of control and he's a danger to himself and others, or to others and himself. Either way, Same thing comes about. Because I care about him as much as I care about the victims that he will hurt. Now, if there's nothing I can do to stop him from killing these ten people over here, except to shoot him, I will shoot him. And then once I've incapacitated him, I will run over and try to administer first aid. I remember there was a gunfight on the hill up above here uh Years ago, I, I know the best friend of the guy who was shot, <laughs> I knew him, worked with him for years, but uh, they drew on each other. One drew his gun. They were both sitting on horseback. There was four guys there. And they drew his gun out. This is the old west, but I can remember these people. <laughs> I never met the guy who got shot, but I met his best friend and knew him for many, many years. But he he drew his gun to shoot the one guy who worked for a guy by the name of Paul French, I think. And the guy who worked for Paul French didn't draw his gun. He was sitting on a horse, so he just tipped his gun in the holster and fired through the bottom of the holster. And he shot the guy off the horse. But then, two guys went riding off right away to get aid, (laughs) the other two guys, and the guy who shot the guy got down on the ground and began to administer first aid and tried to help him. And I, I don't know whether he lived or not. I know that a number of gunfights that took place out here and most of them lived uh, partly because of bad aim but partly because of poor guns. <laughs> so anyway, but the reality is is that in the kingdom you're not seeking vengeance you're not seeking to punish somebody. You're seeking to restrain people and protect people and, and help people to repent and see things differently. Like the Amish guy who somebody had broke into an Amish man's house and the Amish man was standing there with a shotgun and he says, I do not wish to hurt thee, my friend, but you happen to be standing where I'm about to shoot this shotgun. <laughs> So he was suggesting that the guy move. And probably the best idea at that point, staring down a 12-gauge double-barrel shotgun, is to move back out the door. You can <laughs> So, anyway. Uh, but he didn't want to hurt him. He didn't want to exercise violence over him. He wanted to protect him from increasing the number of sins he had against him <laughs> by convincing him to continue in your ways of violence is really a bad idea. So anyway, you know, I'm sure there's some people who think they're pacifists. I mean, are you really a pacifist if you could stop somebody by hitting them with a club? Not kill them, just hit them with a club and knock them out. You could stop them. And they're about to kill 20 people, set off a bomb and kill 20 people, women and children, innocent children. And you say, well, I can't hit him with this baseball bat or this broom handle because that would be violence and I'm nonviolent." The reality is you have perpetrated, assisted, partaked in killing those 20 people this guy kills because you could have stopped him and you didn't. So you are violent. You're just lazy, slothful, afraid to take risks. You know, so anyway, enough of that. So we're gonna we're gonna take a little break, and then we'll come back to Keys of the Kingdom, and hopefully, boy, I see a lot of people on the call. I, I I'll tell you honestly, I wasn't here last week. I was going to be, and something happened where I had to go tend to a hundred sheep, and uh, I, I I couldn't put it off. And once we had sorted them, I couldn't get away, and so I was bent over tagging a hundred sheep, and couldn't make it here, but then I heard that the whole station was down <laughs> and I couldn't have been here anyway. I don't know if that's all true, but sometimes those things happen and I didn't give anybody a notice. But we'll take a, a little break and uh, uh, we'll be back in, in a few minutes. Hang in there. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, why are the keys of the kingdom important? Because the keys of the kingdom are the keys keys to freedom under God. And uh as I was talking this morning show, and we'll make that available on The Face, uh, John MacArthur was uh actually uh talking about different things and uh, trying to interpret the Bible. And, you know, I really need to go through some of these guys who have these philosophies and show you how wrong they are about certain things. I mean, they may be great people and nice guys, but there's a strong delusion where people don't understand the kingdom of God is at hand It's for the living. It leads you to freedom. And if you don't follow the way, which is what Christianity was called, which most Christians are not following, at least not in detail, uh, you're going to go back into bondage. You're going to become merchandise. You're going to curse your children. Uh, You're going to become a surety for debt. And if you even looked at the news, you'd realize all those things have already happened. Go look up the debt clock. I should put a link to the debt clock on this page so you can go see how fast your children are being put uh, into debt. These things were all predicted in the New Testament by Peter, James, uh, John, uh, Paul, and telling you that this was going to happen and why it was going to happen. It's right there in the text. We have dozens of articles that show you what the wages of unrighteousness is and, and what the covetous practices are, which is basically socialism. It would bring you into bondage. And a lot of people say, well, yeah, but socialism works. Well, actually, it always works for a little while, but it doesn't work forever. Eventually, you run out of other people's money and, uh, and you strengthen, uh, no one, certainly not the poor. You make the poor poorer and weaker and it feels good for a while like any drug or narcotic but eventually there's a price to pay so uh, but the problem is that when I say you have to become a Christian or you have to follow the ways of Christ or the way as it was called most people think oh you mean like go to church (laughs) you know become a Baptist Methodist Lutheran Catholic no I don't mean those things those are all a part of that identity politics in the kingdom of god that keeps you from it no and I don't want you to belong to his holy church I want you to belong to the creator of heaven and earth the the that this whatever this god is that we call god this this entity of righteousness of this the thing we call truth, right reason, that's another name for divine will. The the thing that that atheist, I can never remember his name this morning, I still don't remember it now, <laughs> uh, I was always saying that we can get there from with reason only. And the truth is, sometimes he sees things, and I know it's not because he's just, re- God is reasonable. The truth is reasonable. But you don't get there by reason. You get there by revelation. And so people try to read the Bible and they say, well, I'm going to read the Bible because the Bible is the revealed Word of God. And by reading the Bible, then I get closer to the Word of God. Not necessarily so. Because you can't read a third party or even a second party account of the truth and get the truth. You have to get the truth from the source. So, you need revelation, personal revelation in your life, whether you're reading the Bible or the Bhagavad Gita or whatever you're reading, you know, the, you know, Huffington Post. You need revelation to know what is true. And that revelation is what they call in the Old Testament, eating of the tree of life. And so, what does it have to do with courts? So, let me give you a little glimpse, looking through the crevice, and get a look at what a court system would look like in a theological utopia. <laughs> that's one of the things that uh, John MacArthur said that it was, they were talking about with uh, uh, Ben Shapiro, theological, they mentioned theological utopia. Well, that's what ancient Israel was supposed to be. It didn't end up being a theological utopia. As a matter of fact, it ended up going back into bondage but it was because, even though that's what they're supposed to be, where did it fall down? Did the way fall down? That Was the way inadequate or were the people inadequate? Well, what does it say? It says, because they have already turned away from me that I should not rule over them. How does God rule over you? In your hearts and in your minds. They would not. Even when Moses was trying to show them what God was saying, they couldn't hear God. Some didn't hear anything. Some heard thunder. But they couldn't make out what God is saying because they would not hear God in their heart and their mind. Many people out there today will not hear. They are the blind, leading the blind. They are the deaf, leading the deaf. And they cannot hear the Word of God because in order to hear the Word of God, you need to be willing to see the truth about yourself. And people don't want to see the truth about themselves. It's painful. I understand that. So how can you get justice from a jury that will not look at itself honestly? How will that jury look at the, the crime or the incident or whatever it is? Uh, this is where, you know, you have to be that candle I talked about this morning and last week and the week before that. You have to be that candle. How do you get, how do you kindle the fly, flame of that candle of righteousness? Well, you have to start caring about other people as much as you care about yourself in real ways that require you to lay down your life and sacrifice for others. Now, how you do that, that's going to vary because everybody's in a little bit different place. Everybody's in a little bit different position. Everybody's in a little bit different way of uh, uh, approaching problems, and the problems that they're approaching are a little bit different. But the principles remain the same, so you'll see certain common things. So, if you were to pick a jury, where would you pick it from if you're going to pick a jury in the kingdom of God? Well, first you have to be sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, caring about one another. You have to be tithing to a minister according to his service. You don't just tithe to him because he's a minister. He has to be providing a real service. And that real service is not tickling your ears on Sabbath and Sunday. It's actually tending to a daily ministration of pure religion, taking care of the needy of your society if you're all hard-working, industrious people, that's not a big deal. But he... And he also... He only has to worry about ten people, ten families in his congregation. And he has to be connected with nine other ministers, each having ten people or families in their congregation. So, that single group of ten... groups of ten produces a hundred families. Actually, it produces a hundred ten families. And then, of course... Those ministers pick a minister and he is connected with 10 other groups like that. So now you get a thousand. Now you got a church here. You know, you got a whole network because the kingdom of heaven is like a net. Somebody was saying, there's nothing about a network in the New Testament. Tens, hundreds, and thousands, which Christ commanded, that's a network. (laughs) And he did it before there was any distribution. The distribution of loaves and fishes is a physical representation of the distribution of the power of the Spirit. And that power of the Spirit doesn't come to you by way of me. It comes to you by way of the Spirit of Christ dwelling in you. If you're going to make room for Christ dwelling in you, you have to repent. You have to think differently. You have to think the way Christ thought. Christ thought it was a good idea that he laid down his life that you might be saved you have to think that it's a good idea that you lay down your life that others might be saved. Somebody was talking to me the other day. A mother was saying, you know, I have children. You know, when it really comes down to it and things that are bad, I have to take care of my children first. I can't worry about other people. And to some degree, that's absolutely true. But if we apply the reality of existence to that, you know, the way things really shake out in the real world. If all things are going... You know, we got the zombie apocalypse. Everything's crazy. The power's out, and everybody's killing each other. If you want your children to survive, you have to care about other people's children, certain people, children, as much as you care about your own. Because in order for you to survive, you may need those other people. You see this always in... These zombie movies, I haven't seen one in a long time, but it's always a group of people that are surviving amongst this world of zombies. And the tighter the group, the more loyal they are in the group, the more chance they have of surviving. And they often are surviving at the expense of somebody in the group or somebody sacrifices themselves to save others. If you're only going to sacrifice yourself to save your kids, you're probably signing their death warrant. So anyway, back to the courts. You think I forgot? No, I didn't forget. <laughs> so what does that court look like? You've got you've got your network of tens, hundreds, and thousands. It's a charitable network that takes care of the people, you know, gets a broken leg or torn ligament or, you know, breaks their back or just gets sick for a month and can't support their kids. You're all working together so that nobody dies and that everybody has enough to get by. And you're willing to sacrifice to do that. And when you're doing that, you're creating honor and trust and reliability amongst yourselves. Long ways away from what most communities have today. And you have no dictatorial authority ruling over you. Because your your pastor, he can't exercise authority over you. He can't tell you to do this and do that. And you can only do it on this day and you can only do it in this way. He's not doing all that. Because he's only teaching you the precepts upon precepts of the kingdom. He's not trying to make up all kinds of rules and regulations and statutes. Moses didn't write the statutes to bind the people. He wrote the statutes to help explain the simplicity of the law. That if, if you dig a pit... And you don't put a railing around it or you make a balcony and you don't put a railing around it and somebody falls off or they lean on the railing and it collapses and they fall off and break their neck. You could be held responsible for that. Because that's murder. You could have prevented that murder by putting in a better railing. But you didn't. So he's just explaining thou shalt not kill. That's all he's doing. He's not creating another rule. He he talks about pork. The... if you ate pork from the Canaanites, you're gonna die, because <laughs> they were they were ridden with uh, all sorts of parasites and diseases. Those people, the archaeologists will show you those people at, were dying at 45. That's an old man in Canaan. Old man in Israel was over 100. You know, I mean, everybody lived to be 70. To be a hundred, that that was not unheard of. It was unheard of in Canaan. So, to eat pork, to raise pork, to walk around where pork uh, pigs are crapping everywhere, that's murder. That's going to kill you because they were disease-ridden. Uh, now, what do we have? Well, pork, generally speaking, is clean. Now, it may be hard to digest. I know some people can't eat it. And if you don't want to eat pork, great, fine. That's completely up to you. I'm not going to make a rule up about it. But I know that there's a rule, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill others. Thou shalt not kill thyself. Thou shalt not kill the baby in your womb. I know that's the rule. How that manifests, I mean, people now, oh, you can kill a baby because it's not a real person. And of course, a baby is not a person. It's a human, but it's not a person because person is a member. And, And an embryo is not a member of the United States. So from the point of view of the Supreme Court, it's not a person. They may have an equal right to life, but they can't rule on that because it's not a person. You don't understand how the law works. You don't understand Roe versus Wade. The solution to that is not to give personhood to the embryo or the fetus. The person, the 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 solution is to stop murdering, stop killing. Thou shalt not kill. And but the reason people are doing this is because they don't think like Christ. That's why they're committing abortions. Cause they, they don't wanna, all these people, they don't wanna lay down their life even for an unborn child. They don't wanna sacrifice their time, their energy for an unborn child. Somebody else's life is an inconvenience, snuff it out. Well if they do that with a child, that's probably not your best ally during the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> Cause they'll do it for you. You know the zombie, you know like the guy says, I don't have to outrun the zombies. I just have to outrun you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so they're they're going to get you. So, back to the courts again. So, once you have this network of people that value life, don't murder each other, care about one another, when they build a railing, they're thinking, I don't want anybody to ever fall off this railing. Because <laughs> they're thinking about others and the safety of others and the well-being of others. Not just themselves, not just their children. Not just their little congregation that they get so comfortable with on the Sabbath. But the whole kingdom of mankind. That's who they care about. So they're going to try to form a network where they can have Bordire and pick men who will decide fact and law. And they can make contracts where they resolve these issues, not before the unjust, but uh, uh, before the saints, which would be, which would include their own people as judging, uh, as jury, and deciding fact and law, but also a judge who arbitrates the case, which would be their minister. Again, on the page we have a link to the cities of refuge, and the cities of refuge were the appeals courts, because sometimes the local group is prejudicial, but the appeals courts will courts will help you resolve that. And they are composed of men who have dedicated their life to charity. I can tell you right now, the Supreme Court guys, they have not dedicated their life to charity. They've dedicated their life to ruling one over another. They may be nice guys, some of them. I don't know. Uh, I don't know any of them personally. I know something about more of them than most people do. But uh, the reality is, is, that's not who you want as your Court of Appeals. People on the Ninth Circuit Court, ah, I think you're toast if you go to them. But, you you may be stuck in that system. I'm telling you how to get in the other system. First, you have to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. You have to care about others. You have to remain faithful to the idea of taking care of one another, honorable in it, patient in it, long-suffering in it, all the things that Christ said. And then as you build that network, When the unrighteous man fails, you will have something to take its place. But the jury is looking for righteousness, not self-righteousness. It's looking to set men free and to protect men. Those people who will not abide by a righteous decision you know are unrighteous. The court is a test. It's not there to punish the wicked. They're going to be punished. Believe me. But it's to test who will become humble, and this is when I talked about Jordan Peterson this morning, and and uh, Ben Shapiro, and and Vox uh, Day, and all these guys. I wish the best, even Bill Clinton. Uh, I wish the best for all those guys, but the best sometimes is a kick in the pants. The best sometimes is criticism, but I don't criticize them to put them down. I don't criticize what they say to put them down. I I bring forth critical comments that they might have life more abundant, might see things clearly. And when you see things, you need to act upon them, which takes us back to the double tov. You see things by revelation, not because you're clever. If you're beginning to see what I'm talking about, you're seeing it because of a personal revelation and you probably know that this, notice this because you recognize what I say. You may not recognize all of it, keep listening. Maybe you'll find more. But often you'll find yourself, and this is what I hear from a lot of people, they recognize I knew that was true, but I never heard anybody say it. But now you're hearing it and you're recognizing what you already knew in your heart. I'm just bearing witness. Now what do you do with that recognition? Where do you take that recognition? You have to put it into action. Where do you put it into action? Out there in the world, but also in sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. I'm getting clicking on the phone. I'm not sure if I'm losing you or not. <laughs> anyway, uh Anyway, uh, we seem to still be going there. So, uh, so the, the court is to bless you, to bring justice, to help you organize yourself in a community of righteousness, not self-righteousness, not punishment, not control. People often try to say that we're some kind of a cult. It's all the other churches out there that are the cults. We're not We're not trying to control you. We want you to find self-control, and we know you can only find self-control when you put Christ first in your heart and in your mind. And the ways of Christ is the ways of service, one to another, not just to those that love you, but to a vast body network of people who love God, love righteousness, and are seeking that every day. Until then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom dot his holy church dot net.